We are launching a new series called Vital Signs. It's a series on the Ten Commandments. In light of our ever-changing culture, uh, we want to ground ourselves in God's Word. One of our directives is biblical obedience, where Scripture is the primary lens we use to determine how we live. Things are always changing around us, and we want to remind ourselves of biblical right and wrong, and a great place to start is the Ten Commandments. In fact, we consider them vital to following Jesus. In medicine, vital signs are indicators of essential body functions, things like pulse and blood pressure, temperature, respiratory rate. Uh, These are life-sustaining functions. In a similar way, the Ten Commandments can be vital signs for determining how our walk with Jesus is going. Now, to be clear, we are saved by grace, not works. Obeying the Ten Commandments is not grounds for salvation. Yet Jesus affirmed the Ten Commandments, lived by them, and he said to not put his words into practice was like building our houses on the sand. And when the storms come, the house will crash. Thus, using the Ten Commandments as vital signs can tell us how we are doing in following Jesus and indicate what is influencing us more, God's word or our culture. Now, you can find the Ten Commandments in two places in the Old Testament, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. For this series, we'll be taking them from Exodus 20. So the scripture for this morning is Exodus 20, verse 3, and 1 Kings 18, verses 16 to 21. Exodus is the second book in the Bible and gives the first command. 1 Kings is about a third of the way through the Old Testament, and uh, 1 Kings 18 gives an account of a time when the Israelites are challenged to only worship the Lord. It is during the time of Elijah, and Israel is worshiping Baal. Um, And so you can either turn in your Bibles to those passages or look them up on your phones. Our scripture reader for this morning is uh, Melanie Hilardis. Melanie, please make your way up to the podium. As she does, I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, We read from the center room again. Uh, The Bible is our primary lens in determining how we live. It is central for our lives, and we stand because we believe this is the Word of God. And so, Melanie, whenever you're ready, please read Exodus 20, verse 3, and 1 Kings 18, verses 16 to 21. You shall have no other gods before me. So Obadiah went to, to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Melanie, thank you very much. You may be seated. Now, one thing that I love about our country is that when it comes to eating out, we have lots of choices. Uh, The number of fast food chains alone is staggering. 
McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, KFC, Burger King, Pizza, Taco Bell, Wendy's, Arby's, Carl's Jr. And these are just fast food chains. Um, there are no sit-down restaurants uh, represented on the screen, no local favorite restaurants on the screen. These are just the fast food chains. And there are so many options of where we can go to eat that we struggle with a very simple question. Where do you want to go for lunch? In fact, in about 30 minutes, some of us are going to be fighting over that question. And the main reason we fight is because the most common answer to that question of where do you want to go for lunch is, I don't know, where do you want to go for lunch? And that's followed by, I don't know, where do you want to go for lunch? Now, my favorite, uh, my two favorite fast food chains aren't even on the screen, In-N-Out and Culver's. Um, Restaurants of all kinds are competing for our business, for our loyalty. And as long as we visit them semi-regularly, they don't really care if we go to different restaurants, as long as we go to their restaurant, again, on a fairly regular basis. They don't care if sometimes we're in a Mickey D's mood or other times we're in a Chick-fil-A or whatever sounds good to us. Now, my devotion to In-N-Out does borderline on the cultish. I do think they're the best, uh, and I'm very excited that they're building one in Boise. But with that said, I don't think twice about going to other places. It's not that big of a deal where we go out to eat. And this is true with all sorts of things in our lives. Where we buy our clothes and cars, our furniture and phones. We don't have to be loyal to a brand or a store. It's okay to just go to whichever one seems best at the time. And we do that with all sorts of things. And that attitude of just go to whichever is best at the time, it doesn't work for who we worship. It doesn't work for our relationship with God. This is fundamental for our faith. In fact, when it comes to our relationship with God, it is the heart of the matter. God is not okay with us worshiping whatever or whoever we want whenever we feel like it. It is the most important vital sign for our faith in Jesus. Do we worship anything? other than God. Worship is exclusive. At the beginning of Exodus 20, God declares to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And then God says in verse 3 of Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, the original language for the word before literally means in my face. So you could read verse 3 as, you shall have no other gods in my face. It is the same language used in the ancient world for taking a second wife while your first wife is still alive. The second wife is in the face of the first wife. That second wife is offensive to the first one. God will not share his worship with another god. God is unique and expects to be treated as such. Worship is an exclusive relationship, and exclusive relationships are sacred. It is sacrilegious to violate an exclusive relationship. In a couple weeks, Pastor Brett will talk about the no adultery command, but worship is like marriage in the sense that both worship and marriage are exclusive relationships. In marriage, you are committing yourself to your spouse, Your relationship with your spouse is unique. Now look, we can have many friends and not violate our other friendships. That's no big deal. But you can't do that with marriage. And there is one thing that exists in our culture is the idea of an open marriage. These are marriages where spouses agree to see other people. 
Uh, an open marriage, by definition, is not a marriage. Saying you're in an open marriage is like saying you're a steak-eating vegetarian. A steak-eating vegetarian is not a vegetarian. An open marriage isn't a marriage. Marriage is an exclusive relationship, and so is worship. To say that you worship God as well as other things, that's not how worship works. It is not enough to worship God when it is convenient. We must forsake the worship of all other gods or anything that become a god to us. And Jesus talks about this. He says in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We can only have one master. In this example, Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. So the worship of other gods isn't just like worshiping Zeus or Thor or Aphrodite. It can be anything that takes our devotion away from God. Worship of the one true God is exclusive. Worship of the one true God is also elective. While God says you will not have any other gods in his face, God is not interested in forcing any of us to worship him. Going back to the other passage of the day, 1 Kings 18, where it says, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, uh, and Ahab went to meet with Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to them, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family has. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Now you may remember King Ahab from the other kings series we did this summer. King Ahab, through his wife Jezebel, had brought Baal worship to Israel, violating the first commandment. Elijah was a prophet of the Lord and confronted Ahab and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Many of you know that famous story. This conversation is what happens right before that famous confrontation where God brings fire down from heaven. Elijah challenges the people to make a choice. If the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. Again, you see the exclusivity of it. Pick one or the other, but not both. Pick one or the other. You get to choose. Worship, while exclusive, is elective. Choose who you will worship. And then notice it says, the people remained silent. They couldn't even make a choice. They wanted to be able to worship whoever, whenever. Now, when the fire comes down from heaven and engulfs the sacrifice Elijah made to the Lord, the people exclaim, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But at this point, they can't even make the choice. And there was another time that the people were offered a choice earlier in Israel's history, about 500 years before Elijah. Joshua had just led, the, led Israel to conquer the promised land. 
And toward the end of his life, Joshua issues this challenge to them. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. If you don't want to serve the Lord, he says, then choose. He's making the point. One, if you serve the Lord, only serve the Lord. But he's also saying, look, it's your choice. What do you want to do? Worship is always elective. God will never force you to do it. It might be one of the reasons why God never shows himself to us in his full majesty. Because if we saw the full glory of God, we would have no choice but to worship. And God doesn't want forced worship. God wants us to choose to worship him. Worship is elective. It's exclusive, it's elective, and worship is comprehensive. Meaning, worship is not limited to Sundays. Worship is not limited to when we gather in church. Worship is not limited to when we gather in Bible studies or prayer groups or on Wednesday nights. Worship encompasses our whole lives. At TFRC, we're very heavy on the grace and mercy of God. We are always emphasizing God's kindness, which is right and we should. But scripture says God's kindness leads to repentance. We gather to worship and praise God every Sunday morning, and many of us are faithful in doing that on a regular basis. Our worship of God is intended to lead to life change, where we are different people because of our faith. God wants us to worship him and have no other gods before him, and that is to be reflected in how we live. Jesus implied that money can become a God for us. Well, when money becomes a God for us, it changes how we live. Lots of things like money can become a God for us. And if we want to know what other things have become a God for us, we just need to look at what influences our life choices, what influences our daily choices. Do our lives reflect an unwavering devotion to our Lord? Or do they reflect that we have other gods in the Lord's face? We are called to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Now, traditionally, when something is sacrificed as a part of worship, that sacrifice was usually an animal that was killed. A living sacrifice doesn't mean we literally lose our lives. Rather, we live our lives in service of our God, or as it says in Colossians 3, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It doesn't matter what you do, when you're doing it, in what location, it should all be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, one area where I am wrestling with in my life is the area of tipping, tipping the service industry. Okay, I've got some issues with how tipping has seemed to change. Now, I have no problem tipping wait staff at a sit-down restaurant, but we seem to be asked to be tipped for like everything, and I have a real hard time tipping someone who just takes my order in a fast food restaurant. It's just something I can't do. Um, my other struggle with tipping is like the tip percentage has changed on me. As a teenager, when I worked in a restaurant, 15% was a customarily good tip. And that has always been my practice. 
But it, like the rules have changed because now it's closer to 18 to 20% is considered to be a good tip. Now, the difference between a 15% and an 18% tip is like a dollar or two. So we're not talking about a lot of money here, but I really struggle with that because I only tip on 15% on principle. It's a principle. Because you tip on a percentage because prices are going to go up, and if you keep the same percentage, the amount your tip will go up. Well, now they like double dip because now the tip percentage is 18 to 20%, and the prices are still going up. So every time I get the bill and calculating the tip, I calculate what 15% is, and that's what I'm going to tip, and I hear this voice in my head saying, be generous. Be generous. Be generous. I know it's only a dollar or two, but I really struggle kicking it up to 18% on a matter of principle. But maybe I need to change my principles. Maybe rather than having a 15% principle, maybe be generous needs to become a more important principle. I ask myself, what will be a blessing to this waiter or waitress? Sometimes I add the dollar or two, sometimes I don't. It's a little bit of a struggle. But God is generous. So I am working on my generosity. And in the mundane moment of leaving a tip, for me, it becomes an act of worship. Am I going to be generous in this moment because the God I worship is generous? It's easy to overlook that every aspect of our lives has the potential to be a time of worship. Every time we do something mindful of bringing glory to God, we have just performed an act of worship. When we perform a task at work, mindful of bringing glory to God, or when we interact with our family, mindful of bringing glory to God, or how we treat people at the store or restaurant, mindful of bringing glory to God. All of those things become acts of worship, even our tipping practices. Worship is comprehensive. And when worship becomes comprehensive and impacts all aspects of our lives, it then becomes persuasive. I mentioned about how our culture is always changing. Well, one thing that has always been true about America is the freedom of worship. And one of the challenges we have as followers of Jesus in light of this command that we are looking at this morning is that we live in a country where the worship of other gods is a constitutionally protected right. The First Amendment of the United States prevents the government from making laws that regulate an establishment of religion or that prohibit the free exercise of religion. It is a constitutionally protected right to worship other gods. In other words, in this country, breaking the First Commandment is a fundamental right we have as Americans. Jesus said, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's what Jesus said. And in our country, not only is it legal to break that command, it is a constitutionally protected right. We can worship whatever God we want. Why would God 
allow us to get away with this for over 200 years. A country where you can break the greatest commandment freely. Well, this is speculative on my part, but it could be that God has always allowed people to choose. Remember, worship is elective. Choosing who we will worship is a biblical expectation. Elijah told the people to choose. Joshua told the people to choose. Jesus, when he says you cannot serve two masters, implies we must choose. How are we to relate to those in our culture who worship other gods? There are two verses that can guide us here. Beginning with 1 Corinthians 5. What business is it of mine, Paul says, to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. We do not have to judge those outside of the faith for their actions. God will do that. If others don't worship the Lord, we don't have to condemn them for that. Remember, God doesn't want people forced to worship him. Forced worship really isn't worship at all. At the same time, we don't have to condone the worship of other gods either. We don't believe that all religions are the same. We do believe that it matters who we worship. And so how do we respond without condemning or condoning? Well, here's another verse that is helpful. Where Jesus said in Matthew 5, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Worship, again, is comprehensive. When people know where we go to church to worship on Sundays, and when people know who we worship, that we worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins, the one who rose from the dead, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, the Alpha and Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, when they, knew, when they know that is who we worship. And they see that our worship of him impacts areas of our lives not limited to Sundays. When they see that, that the worship of the one true God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, actually changes us in our everyday living. When they see those good deeds, then they too, Jesus says, will glorify our Father in heaven. We are called to witness to the world. And if our witness is going to have any credibility, then we must be different And here's the good news. Gospel changes everything. We are devoted to Jesus because Jesus is devoted to us. We are not talking about work righteousness here. We are not exclusive and elective and comprehensive and persuasive in our worship to earn God's favor. We are exclusive and elective and comprehensive and persuasive in our worship because we already have it. That's what the cross and the resurrection reminds us of every time we gather of God's love and mercy. We already have it, and our worship is a response to it. 
you shall not have any gods, any other gods in my face. If the Lord is God, then worship him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength in every area of your life. It's the first and most important vital sign of our faith. It is the heart of the matter. Please pray with me. And Lord, we do thank you for your goodness, love, mercy. Lord, for your kindness. And I would ask, Lord, that we would respond to your favor with faithful worship in you. In the times that we gather here together as a community of faith, and in times where we scatter into every area of our lives. Lord, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear how you are calling us to worship you each day and how we um, follow you. And Lord, we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.